You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Welcome. It was so cool this week to be able to go down to the American River with a friend of mine named Mike who had made a decision for Christ but really was making his public proclamation of believing in Jesus through baptism. And so I want you to go ahead for a moment and watch this video. Buried with Christ, raised to walk in new life. One of the cool things about Mike getting baptized is that he did it just in a public way, in a public area. And even in a time like right now, when people are maybe fearful or people are uh, reserved, I want you to know that the church is being the church. That where you are, you have chances to share Jesus with people. That you have the chance to have people get baptized. We've had hospital visits going on and we've had ministry going on to youth and to children. And we've had so much going on. We have not stopped being the church. We miss gathering altogether. But I want you to know that God is is weeding out of us the event side of Christianity. And he's calling you and me more and more to be the church where he has planted us. And I just want, as your pastor, to encourage you, the more that you can love people radically right where you are, the more that you can engage people in spiritual conversation, in times like these, God will use that in amazing ways. In fact, you will be growing the church right where you are, in a time like this, it's no accident. It didn't take God by surprise. It shouldn't take you or me by surprise. It's surprising, but that he still wants us to be the church together. As we're looking through the book of Acts this year, we're looking at the early church and the launch of the early church after Jesus had been crucified, dead and buried, rose to new life, was on the earth for about 40 days. He ascended to heaven. He said, I will give you my promised Holy Spirit. And the disciples waited and shortly thereafter, the Holy Spirit came upon them with power. They began to preach salvation through the name of Jesus Christ and thousands of people start to get saved by faith through Christ. And they believe they received their baptized is what's happening right now. And roughly at the point we are at Acts chapter eight, the church is is a little over two years old. And I just want you to think back for a minute, like have you ever been around and interacted with a two-year-old. I want you to know something. If you're a parent, the terrible twos actually start at a year and a half. And for some people, they don't even end until they're like they're 50. They just carry on. When you're in your terrible twos, toddlers can be selfish. They can be indignant. They want their way. Their favorite word is no. And their favorite word is that they don't want to do those kind of things. A number of years ago, we were on vacation with my my in-law, my, my relatives, my brother and his family. And we were sitting down at dinner and next to me at the table is my little niece. At that time, she was a toddler. And as we begin to eat dinner, she takes this big old Hawaiian roll and she starts to smash it up and she shoves the entire Hawaiian roll right in her mouth. And like so much, her mouth is so full that her cheeks are out and that the roll is still sticking out the front of her mouth. Like she can't, absolutely can't pack it all in. And her parents are in a conversation at the other end of the table and I, I look at her and I just say, hey, uh, you might not want to put that whole roll in your mouth. That could be a choking hazard. And she looked at me and she said, oh, which I did not know how to translate that. So I said, I can't understand what you're saying. So at this moment, she grabs the roll. She starts to spit it out. There's drool coming off the roll back to her mouth. And she looks right at me and she says, 
not gonna, don't want to. And then she proceeds to pack with two hands that roll all the way back in her mouth and eat it and looking straight at me, like making total dead on eye contact. I look at Heather and I'm trying not to laugh because it's like, it's pretty funny. But that's the nature of a toddler. That's the nature of somebody when they're two and when you're in a business that's two years old, when you're in a church that's a little over two years old, you've made a radical adjustment that's about two years old. When you're about two years into your walk with Christ, there come some challenges. There come some things along the way that you have to adapt to, that you have to walk through. And as the early church is launching in year two, they suddenly get persecuted to the point where people are having to flee. The teaching of Jesus actually, which was centralized in Jerusalem, now begins to leave Jerusalem and expands to the rest of the world. And the Holy Spirit begins to be experienced by people all over the world through belief in Jesus Christ. Spiritual people now are coming actually spiritually alive. And you would say, well, Dave, why why would you call those people spiritual people? if they don't yet have the Holy Spirit. And I want to say because humans are spiritual. We all worship something. Many of these people in the early church, they lived in other areas and they worship false God. They worship uh, idols that were crafted by people, but they would bow down to them and give power to them and worship them. They would worship the sun and the moon and the stars, the things that were in the heavens that were created by God, but they would worship those entities as individual things. People are spiritual. We all worship something. And some people would say, I'm not really spiritual, but the truth is they worship themselves or they worship their family, or they worship their finances. We all worship something. Let's be honest, people are spiritual. And not just because we worship something. People are spiritual because they're filled with the breath of life. They're filled with air. They're filled with spirit. In the Greek, the word pneuma means spirit. It means air. It's the word that they would use throughout the New Testament to refer to the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to know something. If you breathe air, then you're spiritual. All the time when people will come to church, they'll say, oh, this is my friend. They're they're very spiritual. I'm not a Christian, but I'm just very spiritual. And and I want to go like, of course you are, because you breathe air. You breathe air. Good job. You're spiritual. We're all spiritual. Everybody is spiritual. And sometimes they have spiritual experiences. People come into the church. They come to hear a message. You might be watching online and say, I might not consider myself a Christian, but I see myself as being spiritual. I've had some spiritual experiences. But that's not the same as saying that I am filled with and being led by God's Holy Spirit. There's a big difference. And so here's why you need Acts chapter eight. Here's why you need today's sermon. You are spiritual. The question is, what spirit are you listening to? See, the word of God and the Holy Spirit is always gonna tell you first. The first thing that God is gonna tell you is to believe in Jesus Christ first. God is three in individual, what we would call personages. But the truth is God is one in essence. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one in essence. That's how God expresses himself is Father, Son, and Spirit. They are one, but we would understand them in three different capacities. And so in the capacity that we believe, the Holy Spirit is always going to point you to believe in Jesus Christ first. So if you in your life are hearing some sort of a spiritual direction, but you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you are not hearing from God. 
See, people in our culture always get curious. They always get curious about spiritual matters. They watch TV shows, they watch movies, and they get very curious about spiritual matters. And, and sometimes they want to contact a medium, a person who maybe tries to talk to dead people. They want to contact people or have a seance or, or get their fortune told or try to look to the stars to find out what's going to happen in their day or their month or their year ahead. But listen to me, I've been around some demonic experiences. And let me tell you this. There is always a demon ready and available and willing to play your dead relative. That voice, that messenger that the medium may be listening to that has unique knowledge because they are powerful beings is not your relative. It's not your relative. However, many of you go, I would never do that. I would never go seek, you know, a dead relative. I would never go to something that's like scary spiritually. And, but what you will do is you will know your horoscope. You will look at your sign and you will let that voice influence you. You will let the stars tell you what you think your day or your month is going to look like instead of looking to the creator of the stars, the one who made them all in the first place. And let me tell you, listen to me, that voice, even if it's popularized by culture, is never the voice of God. But culture has normalized those as being spiritual interactions, just normal things. But I want you to know the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And the Bible tells us also that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's what I want. We're spiritual beings, but I want you today to be free spiritually to begin to hear the voice of God. People all the time ask, how do I hear God? How do I hear the voice of God? And I want to kind of wade through the spiritual experiences that people have had as we look at Acts chapter eight, because our culture wants to deceive people with clever sounding arguments. And it works a lot, but it doesn't mean that those arguments are the truth from the voice of God. If you're taking notes today, write this down. The first thing you want to do is believe and receive. Believe and receive. In Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, Stephen has been just killed. He's been martyred. He's been stoned to death by people who were angry at what he had to say. And this is a condition of the church that one of their best preachers, Stephen, just gets killed. And they're like, what is going to happen? And in Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, it says this. And Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So the early church begins to leave Jerusalem. They get dispersed because of persecution. They leave their homes 
They leave their place of residence. They leave some of their jobs and they get dispersed. But as they're getting persecuted, as they're in a time of fear, as they're getting dispersed, they begin to talk all the time about Jesus. They begin to preach Jesus wherever they want. And I want to ask you, in a time of fear, in a time where we feel like we're isolated, when you get online, when you interact with other people, when you have workers who are afraid as you are in some ways, are you still speaking about Jesus wherever you go? That's what's happening in the early church. And what happens with the Samaritans is they hear this. They see the signs and wonders. The Samaritans are half Jewish people. They are the union of a a purebred, if you will, Jewish person, and then someone from another culture. And they were often ostracized by the Jews and they had to live in an area like Samaria because they were not allowed in Jerusalem. They were not allowed. But Philip goes up to this area, begins to preach Jesus. And what happens there is these people make a cognitive ascent, a cognitive belief in Jesus, and they go, well, hey, I ought to get baptized. And so they go get baptized. It's a cognitive belief. But here's what's happening. The apostles are watching. The apostles are watching to say, can a person just make a cognitive belief And will they then still receive the Holy Spirit from Jesus, the Holy Spirit from God that we have received? Because that will prove to us that this gospel of Jesus is available to every race, every nation, every color, every background. If that happens, then we'll know that God's Holy Spirit wouldn't reject these half Jewish people or he would accept these Gentile people, these non-Jewish people. And so they're going to watch, will the Holy Spirit willingly fill them as it had already done with Jewish disciples? That's what they're going to watch. And let me tell you that I think that's what God is often watching right now. I think there's many people who have a cognitive belief in Jesus Christ. They might even have been baptized, had a water baptism, but they've got a cognitive belief of Jesus Christ, but they have not surrendered their lives to his lordship. They've not said, God, you're the way, you're the only way, and I'm gonna follow you as I'm being led by your Holy Spirit. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Bob Goff, and in his most recent book called uh, Dream Big, he tells this story where he is, as as an attorney from America, has been reaching and for years has been helping people in Uganda. And on one of his first trips in Uganda, he'd been there for several weeks helping these poor children and bringing help and education, starting schools with them. And then he's about to leave. So he gets in the little like truck and he's sitting in the back of the truck and, and it takes off to start to take him to the airport. So they're driving slowly through the village and he sees a bunch of kids and he waves at them and the kids all start running, maybe 10 kids, start running and following the truck. And he's in the back of the truck and he waves and and then all of a sudden he's waving at them and then about 10 more kids come out and they're following him in the back of the truck and he's still waving and they're waving at him and he's waving harder. And so they think maybe there's something in it for them. We get like 10 more kids pretty soon. He's got like 40, 50 kids following him as he's leaving and he, he asks the guide, what in the world? We're going to the airport, we're leaving. Why are these kids chasing after the vehicle? And the guide told them that the American hand signal of waving in Uganda means, follow me. So he's waving hard, like, follow me, follow me. They're thinking, this guy's got something for us. And so they're all running after him. I think sometimes many people are waving at Jesus, but they're not following him. Jesus is saying, follow me. And they're waving like, we got you, Jesus. Good job. You're waving at Jesus. 
but you're not following him and it's not the same thing. You can have a cognitive ascent of Jesus and still have not surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ, being a follower who actually hears the Holy Spirit on the inside. I'm not saying an audible voice, but that God's prompting on the inside. So first you must believe, then you must receive. Second, don't mix and match. Listen to God's voice. See, people nowadays are, it's a hard time when they're discerning like spiritual truth. They have to, first of all, think, is there a God? People have to ask, is there a God? And not only do they have to ask that, but when they think, yeah, there probably is a God, then they have to say, well, which one? Is it the Hindu God? Is it the Muslim God? Is it the Christian God? And if it's the Christian God, then which of the denominational or Christian voices do I listen to about God? It's not an easy decision. It's a confusing time. And that is why it's so important that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you become a follower of Jesus Christ at the exclusion of all other spiritual voices. Why? Because Jesus preached that we should take up our cross and die to ourselves and follow him. He said he's the way, the truth, and the life that no one gets to the Father but through him. But what our world does is our world wants to practice syncretism. Syncretism is a word that simply means mix and match. Under the banner of the name of spirituality, just take a little bit from here and a little bit from there and kind of, you know, pile it all together and make your own spiritually religious beliefs. And God says there is not, that is not truth in that. That's not how it works. It might be spiritual for you to mix and match, but let me tell you, it is not the Holy Spirit of God. Your mixture is a confusing cocktail. The Holy Spirit of God is going to be clear with you that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life only found through Jesus. So in verse 9, we begin to watch what happens when someone wants to mix and match. In verse 9 of chapter 8, it says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. And they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with this sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And Simon himself believed. Cognitive belief, right? And he was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given on the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you. And literally, it's this. Literally, in the Greek, I think Bible writers tried to clean this up. Because literally in the Greek, 
It says, your money can go to hell with you. That's what Peter says to him. Basically says, to hell with you and with your money. You're both gonna perish together. You're both gonna go to perdition, to hell together is what he says to him. He says it very strongly because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money and you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. So repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So here you have Simon the sorcerer. He was experimenting and having spiritual experiences that amazed other people, but he wanted to buy the power of God to elevate his, his ability in the eyes of the people. He wanted to wow people more than he wanted to obey and follow God. And sometimes people do the same thing. They have no intent of getting rid of their past spiritual experiences. They just want to add Jesus to their current worldview. When you go to other countries, and maybe it's a country that has many gods, that maybe their, their common religion there believes many, many gods, a lot of them might be happy to just add Jesus to the mix. But as they begin to understand and see who Jesus really is, as the gospel is presented to them, they realize I must believe and receive Jesus Christ at the exclusion of all other spiritual experiences, at the exclusion of all other beliefs that we can't mix and match that it doesn't work that way. Here was a guy, Simon, the sorcerer, who tried to mix and match. And God enables, the, God enables Peter and John to be able to see right through him to the core motive he had. And it's so interesting because he said to them, pray for me. Pray for me that, so that whatever you've said won't happen to me. I want you to take note that Simon didn't pray for himself that he should pray right in that moment to repent before God. He should pray to God that none of those things would happen to him. He should submit his life and say, God, I'm gonna renounce those things I've been involved in and I'm gonna give my whole self to you. God, I'm, I am switching teams. I am all in. I want your Holy Spirit. He should have prayed to God, but that's not what someone does who's still holding on to their past spiritual experiences. They're gonna ask someone else spiritual to pray for them. You pray for me instead of them praying in what's sad in scripture is we get no indication that Simon the sorcerer ever turned to Jesus. What does it mean to renounce your past spiritual experiences? Because you've got some. What does that mean to renounce them? To renounce that those experiences were spiritual, but they were not from the one true God. Well, you've got to pray. You've got to say, and I encourage you out loud to say something like this, to say, God, I renounce, and you fill in the blank, God, I renounce horoscopes, or I renounce being involved in the seance, or God, I renounce playing with the Ouija board, or God, I renounce certain horror movies, or false religious experiences, or drug experiences, God, that were not from you, that you've got to out loud renounce those and relinquish the claims that those spiritual experiences have on your life you say, God, I renounce them as being false and I choose the Holy Spirit to lead my life. It means you take ground back and that you surrender that ground to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And for some of you that 
that feels a little bit like taking the roll out of your mouth. You've packed a whole bunch of things into your history, into your heritage, into your family background, into your experience. You've packed all those things in your mouth. And some of you are going to have to like grab that roll and pull it out of your mouth. And, and you got drool going to it because it's been such a part of you. And you're going to have to say, I renounce those experiences. And I give claim to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But there's going to be something in your heart that's like, well, I don't know. Can't I just mix and match? Your heart's going to say, not gonna, don't want to, because you want to keep those experiences. But it's very clear in scripture that the lordship of Jesus Christ is a one-way street and the only way to heaven. And so we need to renounce past spiritual experiences that are not from the one true God. So come to God, repent, and begin to hear from God's Holy Spirit on the inside. See, people want to hear from God Oftentimes they want to hear an audible voice and God oftentimes doesn't choose to speak that way. He chooses to use his word. He's written his word to us and it's one of the great ways that God speaks to us. And as we read the word, God's Holy Spirit illuminates the very word of God to take root in our lives. It's active, it's living. It's not like any other book. It is the word of God and it begins to walk with you. But I gotta tell you, when you begin to hear the voice of God, you're gonna hear three things that God's Holy Spirit is guaranteed guaranteed to tell you. And if you're taking notes today, write these things, these three things down that God will speak to you. First, believe more deeply. In other words, have faith. And in a time like this right now, God is going to push you. This culture is squeezing you. The uncertainty and the amb ambiguousness of our culture right now is going to squeeze you and it's going to shake you and it's going to make you a little bit, and God's going to keep saying, have faith. God's going to say, grow your faith. Give me everything and give me everybody. Like relinquish those things to me. Relinquish all the unknowns. Relinquish all the information. Relinquish all the opinions. Relinquish all the civil unrest. Relinquish that to me and listen to me. Grow your faith. Second thing he's gonna tell you is love people in extraordinary ways. God's Holy Spirit is always gonna tell you and me to love people deeply, even messy people. And he's gonna say, love them in extraordinary ways. It doesn't make sense, but God's Holy Spirit is gonna lead you to love people in extraordinary ways. And that's what we're doing right now, even as a church. That that's what we want you to do, to love people in extraordinary ways in a time when people are kind of holding to themselves and trying to keep their cards close and trying to understand what's going on in our culture. Love them in extraordinary ways. And third, the Holy Spirit is always going to tell you to share the gospel with someone near you or around you. That God's going to put people in your path and he's going to be like, I want you in this time right now to share with them. I want you to get on social media and I want you to write a letter to your friend, a direct message on social media about just some of the things of what the gospel really looks like. He's gonna have you have a conversation with somebody and say, talk to them in this time. He's gonna put people near you or around you and encourage you now, do it. Share the gospel with them. So how in the world do I do that? Write this down. Tell your testimony about what God has done in you. Tell your story. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know my testimony. What's my story? Well, if I asked you, tell me, how did you come to believe in Jesus? How did you come to move to a cognitive belief in Jesus? And how did God's Holy Spirit begin to fill you? Can you tell that story? If you can tell that story, that's your experience. They cannot refute you. 
I might say, how has God grown your faith in this time? You might say, you know what? I'm scared too. But I'm realizing that I can give everything and everyone to God that I can actually take my fears to God and lay them at his feet and that he brings me comfort in my time of need. You can share that with people and they're all ears. It's your experience that they're attracted to. They want to look right now and say, how does your faith impact your experience right now? They want to know. And they can't refute it because it's your experience. Share your testimony about what God has done in you and what God has done for you. And last, be open to God's sending and speaking. I've learned and am still learning that interruptions oftentimes can be assignments from God. That what we think are interruptions, what we think are inconveniences can be actual assignments from God. That literally people will be sitting next to you and they're asking, they're just like, God, where are you? Where are you? People are asking that right now. God, if you're real, where in the world are you? And they're sitting right next to you. And they want to know. At the end of chapter 8, we see this illustration where Philip then is sent by God's Holy Spirit to a man who's reading the Old Testament word of God and wondering what it means. He doesn't quite know what it means. He doesn't know who this Messiah is. He doesn't know how the story plays out. And so Philip is sent to an Ethiopian man who was seeking God by reading his word. And he wanted to understand and believe, but he needed interpretation about the current times and about Jesus. And so Philip runs alongside this chariot and he looks up at this guy. He says, excuse me, do you understand the scriptures that you're reading? Do you understand what you are reading? By the way, that's a great question. I use it all the time. If I walk into a coffee shop or I see someone on their phone on the Bible or I see somebody with the actual Bible out and they're reading it, I can ask them, do you understand what you're reading? And within moments, I can tell if that person is actually maybe a believer and they, they know the Bible or whether they don't understand what they're, they're seeking God and they just might need some interpretation. It's a great question to ask. Do you understand what you're reading? Now, a lot of times you're not gonna see people read the Bible. You're not gonna see them actually physically reading it. But what can you ask? What can you ask people that would be a question like, do you understand what you're reading when you see people out or you're interacting with people online or you're interacting with people on a Zoom call or you're interacting with people uh, just any way that you do right now, you can ask them a different question. You can ask them, do you understand what happened to Jesus? You might want to write that question down. It's not in your notes, but do you understand what happened to Jesus? I follow this engineer out of, uh, who graduated out of UC Davis and uh, he works for the state. And it's amazing to me because uh, the stuff that he posts up, the guy just thinks on a different level. I'm fascinated by like the stats and the way that his mind thinks and the science things that he puts up. And so I just follow him on Instagram. He follows my pictures, but I'm following his stories, what he's actually projecting out there. And, and I find it fascinating. And one day in his story, he just said, what the heck ever happened to Jesus? He said, how did that end? And by the way, he didn't say what the heck. He said something else, but you get the idea. What the heck ever happened to Jesus? How did that end? So I didn't comment on his story. I direct messaged him 
and I sent him a direct message and showed him where he could read the actual account factually of what happened to Jesus in the Bible. Actually cut and paste, I sent it to him. Actually from the Bible said you can Google it, you can look up on version, blah, blah, blah. And then I offered to sit down with him over coffee at some point if he had other questions. And what it's actually done is this has led to a number of other questions that this guy has been sitting on but had unanswered for himself for a long time. We haven't met for coffee. We just have been continuing to talk online. Well, how did it happen? Because he wanted to know, I don't understand what happened to Jesus. Let me tell you, you got friends, you have relatives, you got people with you. They don't understand what happened to Jesus. They've heard of him. And let me tell you, America has had its chance. America has heard about Jesus. There are people who reject Jesus. There are people who have embraced Jesus and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But you can always ask, do you understand what happened to Jesus? And you can answer that question. This is what happened. This is why he was killed. He was dead and buried. He actually rose from the dead. Let me tell you something. When people hear that Jesus rose from the dead and they're from another country where they've never heard what has happened about Jesus, when they hear that, they'll stop and say, that's a game changer. He really rose? That's a game changer. And people want to know about Jesus, particularly those who've never heard. America's heard, but there are other parts of the world that people have never heard. And so we send the gospel message and go ourselves to places like Zimbabwe, through Sun Grove Church, India, Guatemala, all over the place, to Mexico and other places, all over the world where we are allowing the word of God to reach people in other cultures, particularly places where people have never heard about Jesus because people want to know the truth. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 13, he says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I want you to know that right now, even through Church Online, even sharing Church Online, you can be the beautiful feet of people who bring good news. You might not be able to travel. You might not be able to go out of the country, but you can bring good news. And God is calling you to people right around you who want to know about Jesus. He's calling you out of your comfort zone where you expect maybe the church to do it or a pastor to do it or a friend that you think is more spiritual to do it. But God is calling you because there's someone sitting right next to you saying, God, where are you? Where are you in all this? And you have the opportunity to be God sending and to be God speaking. But you need to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit on the inside. And maybe today for you, right where you are, you're realizing I've never believed and received. I've maybe cognitively had an idea, but, but I realize today that I can only be saved through the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No one gets to heaven. No one gets to God the Father, but through him. And if today you wanna to say, God, I wanna surrender my life to your Lordship, then you pray something like this right where you are after me to say, Jesus, today, I give you me just as I am all my mess and I ask you to come be the Lord, the master, the ruler of my life and I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and to cleanse me as white as snow. I believe you died on the cross for me, that you were buried and you rose to new life, that you are God. And so today, Jesus, 
I give you me. And if you prayed that prayer right now, you're just like the guy who Philip was talking to, who was riding in a chariot, who finally understood and believed that Jesus was the Messiah as foretold in the Old Testament. You're just like another person who says, God, where are you? And they find out that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and they are saved. And when that happens for you, and when it's happened for me, you become a new creation. God gives you a new spiritually alive heart on the inside. Your sins are gone. You don't have to fear death because you have new life in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.